0: The following lecture was delivered at the 15th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Atlanta, Georgia, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Dr. Deborah Teplow presents her lecture, Designing for Positive, Lasting Change. I'm Deborah Teplow. And this session is designed for Positive, Lasting Change. And I have this quote, the purpose of all true art and science is to reveal the creator's design. Um, And so I was at the last session with, I forgot who spoke on, I actually. I I forgot who. (laughs) He talked about um, halakha is is the details of what to do And chassidut is the why, um, is the spiritual. So I just want to put that in there and um, kind of think about that in the context of this quote by Einstein. So I usually ask the question, why now? Why are we looking at this topic today? And instead I called it, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that change is hard and most people have a really hard time with it and this is this is actually pretty old data i mean maybe it's i don't know six or seven years old i don't want to go through the details (laughs) you know uh, we're not going to study this 70 percent of people of americans who pay off credit card debt get into more debt afterwards Um, 40 billion dollars is the amount americans spend per year on diets and um and very little, few per, um, few succeed, 5%, 4 to 32 days, number of days before the average person with an alcohol or substance use problem uh, who tries to quit is added again, 98% of people fail at keeping their New Year's resolutions, and f- less than 20% of couples on the brink of divorce who uh, are, are um, tw- fewer than 20% of couples who go to therapy and, um, um, and whose marriages are on the brink of divorce actually succeed. In, keeping their marriages together. So change is hard. It's hard to do and it's hard to sustain. It doesn't have to be. So one thing I'd like to do is talk to you today briefly about why it's so hard. It's because we believe a lot of myths and we make a lot of mistakes about change. So as we go through these, um, reflect in your own life how many times you may have made that mistake or or operated on that false belief. And I do want to say, I don't mean to insult you, but you all aren't that special. Because of these mistakes and myths you see, everybody does it more times than we care to count. So um, you're part of a group of everybody who may make these mistakes. So first of all, this is. I, I have a lot of cartoons in here because it's a lot more fun to learn by laughing than wringing your hands. So thank you for not laughing at my absurdly unattainable New Year's resolutions. We all know about that, right? Um, and I think that this is a good time to talk. Latest research by um, um, Katie Milkman from Wharton School um, indicates that a good time to change is when people are making a fresh start. So. Isn't this amazing that we're in that we're about to make our fresh start in our Jewish calendar? So um, th- I'm glad I'm doing this talk now. Take this to heart and use it. Um, okay, my life changes. Um, here are some, some ideas. Resolutions: drink less alcohol, stop smoking, eat less chocolate. No, we're not doing that one. Join the gym, start a diet, drink more water, etc. Okay, those sound great. How attainable are they? And we're going to look at how attainable they are. Um, so What is the problem? Let's go through the 14 missing mistakes. First of all, rely on willpower for long-term change. Um, When I go to um, audiences, and I have done this, and probably I've asked literally thousands of people, what is the factor that has to be in place for change to happen? Most people say motivation, and those who don't say motivation say determination. And those don't say motivation or determination, say persistence. It all boils down to self-control, persistence, motivation, et cetera. That is a problem because guess what? Motivation is like your muscle. It poops out, and that's a clinical term. Um, Just poops out. You cannot depend on motivation or willpower for long-term change. Okay other people. Another mistake is attempting big leaps instead of baby steps. I cringe when people say, yeah, I'm going to start to meditate. I'm going to meditate 15 minutes every day. I just go, whoa, they don't have a clue how long 15 minutes is if they're just starting a new behavior. All right. Ignoring how environment shapes behaviors. I sat next to a guy who worked for Cinnabon. Um, I sat next to him on the airplane, and he told me the science behind Cinnabon. Who's been past a Cinnabon store? What's amazing about Cinnabon? 50 feet before you hit the store. Yes. And it's 50 feet because the scientists have figured out the exact distance from the front door and the exact smell that they have to produce to hook you. And why do they have the open kitchen? Because it's all the cues for you to start salivating, even though you're not Pavlov's dog, but it works, right? It's environment. It shapes behavior. Trying to stop old behaviors instead of creating new ones. And we will talk a little bit about how to stop old behaviors. And I think that that um, is a really important point to take um, into account and to really pay attention to. There's lot lot, people wring their hands. Oh, how do I break the bad habits? How do I break the bad habits? Bad habits are really hard to break. So we will talk about a solution a little bit later. Blaming failures on motivation. Again, it goes with, I don't have enough motivation. What does it take to change behavior? I need motivation. Ah, if I failed, it's because I didn't have enough motivation. Underestimating the power of triggers. That's the Cinnabon smell for you. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to stick to my diet. Nothing will take me off my diet. Yeah. Try 50 feet from Cinnabon. I'm um, believing that information leads to action. I work a lot with um, people who work in public health, mainly clinicians and social um, service professionals. And I cannot tell you how many times—it's probably 100 percent of the time—when I tell a public health um, person. Um, you know, we, we, um, we think if we just provide ICE, information, communication, and education, people will change. But how, you know, how much, um, how much does that work? After all, in every box of cigarettes, it tells you smoking kills you. Um, and people laugh, thinking, oh, as a public health person, a lot of public health, unfortunately, is information, education, and communication. Communication is big billboards. It's not enough. It's important, but not enough. Focusing on abstract goals more than concrete behaviors. Another really, really bad mistake we make. Who wants to be healthier? Yeah? Who wants to be in better shape? That is not going to help you get to it, though. It's important. But when you depend on, I'm going to get healthier, it's not a discrete behavior that will lead to change. And people focus on that abstract goal. All right. Seeking to change behavior forever, not for a short time, who's ever sworn to themselves, "I will never eat as much chocolate cake as ever again as I did at that simcha, or you know, I don't know if people drink a lot, maybe them. Um, I had such a hangover. I will never do that again. And what happens? Forever is a really, really long time. Um, I will give you my email address. I'm glad to share the slides. Um, Assuming that behavior change is difficult, like pushing a donkey. Yeah, it is difficult unless you use effective strategies. Change is possible. Um, Believing they aren't good at it and can't succeed. I'm just not good enough, you know, I can't do it. And that's it, so why try? Um, Assuming that there's one best way to do something. I was stuck in the airport for a long time with a bunch of people. And there was a fellow from India who swore that yogurt was going to save the world. And he insisted, everybody, everybody, everybody has to eat yogurt every day, because that's the way that you'll get healthy. And I thought, hmm, well, he hasn't talked to too many um, Ashkenazi Jews with lactose intolerance, or people from Africa, or Asians, or anybody with a casein allergy. I get both. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, there are multiple ways it's going to count. Another mistake we make is insisting that because you failed before, you'll fail again. You are a loser. And what I like to say is it's not failure, it's just rehearsal. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, also thinking that change happens as a result of an epiphany or just do it. And I think that there are a few things that um, I wish I could wipe out of the vocabulary. One is just. Just do it. The other is, how does that make you feel? I work with a lot of behavioral health clinicians, a lot of therapists, and that seems to be the go-to. And I'll tell you what the problem with that is. How does that make you feel? is that there is no agency there. There's no actor in charge of the action, and that is you. So um, very important, and there's some other um, questions to ask instead of that, um, which I might talk about tomorrow. So behavior change is not a matter of just dream big. It's not a matter of just follow your heart. Um, I have enough um, graphics, and I'll confess why I added this graphic, because I think it's really cool. I think it's really attractive. That's why I have it up there. And you know, people say, oh, follow your heart, just do it. Those are OK, but they are not effective strategies for lasting change. There's also the what if we don't change at all and something magical happens. Uh, I don't think so. All right, so we have to think different. And the fact is that change is a process that you can design for. Um, It's not about luck. It's not about dreaming big. It's not even about having enough motivation. Those are all part of a whole equation. And it's it's about using the right tools and systems to engineer change so that you can make change easy and you can make change sustainable. So that's what we're going to look at. So how does change happen? Well, um, behavior is a result of motivation and ability coming together and then being cued or the opportunity arising. And this is an adaptation of B.J. Fogg's behavior Fogg Behavior Model. And I will show you a little bit more of how we're adapting it. This is something that my partner and I are working on right now. So um, it's not quite ready for prime time, but I wanted to share it and also get some feedback from you about it. So so we have the y-axis here, and here's no motivation at all. And I'm sorry that somehow this slide didn't transfer over through the projector. There's no motivation here, and here's high motivation. This is the, the motivation axis. Access, access. Ability, something's hard to do here or easy to do here. Now, when something is um, very hard to do and we have no motivation, here's the sad face. Behavior change does not happen, it won't. You cannot not be motivated and also have something super hard to do. Okay, if you hate running and Somebody says, let's go on a 10 mile run. It ain't happening. However, as you gain motivation and the, you have greater ability, meaning a thing is easier to do, then the likelihood of change or behavior kicks into action. This is called the activation curve. So when you have adequate motivation, let's say you have some motivation, and you have some ability, you've crossed this curve and the gold star is where behavior change kicks into action. So recognize that motivation and ability can be traded off. If you have tons of motivation, then the thing can be hard to do. Um, You don't have to have a lot of ability. If you don't have a lot of motivation, then you need to have a lot of ability. And the way to control ability is to make something easier to do. So if motivation isn't all there is, then what is there? Well, motivation is critical, but it's not the only thing. The desire to act is part of the puzzle, but there are a lot of other factors that go into change. Now, I'm not going to go into all of these, Um, as I said, You can have my email address, I'll send you the slides, I'll share the slides with you, or maybe we can put them on a website. Um, These are 17 um, factors that do drive behavior change, and these factors are developed from a list um, that is is from Hans Mosler, he is a Swiss researcher who's been working uh, on global health and behavior change, and he identified these seventeen factors as promoting behavior change. So it's not just about um, it's not just about motivation, um, and I'll show you how that all comes into play in just a moment. But first, I want to go back. Woohoo! And I noticed how to do that. All right, I want to talk about goals and outcomes, because in addition to motivation, who's heard of smart goals? Anybody heard of smart goals? A lot of people have heard of SMART goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time, time bound or time limited, time oriented. Um, I actually have a blog called Smart Goals Aren't That Smart and How to Make Your Smart Goals Smarter. Um, but we talk about goals. What do you need to change? Is the first thing, you gotta be motivated, right? And then you have to have goals. Am I right? Does that sound familiar? Yes? No? Yeah. Nod your head so I know that you're, yeah. Okay. I want to propose something else. Something that is, is what sustains motivation and also what can help catalyze or catapult you into motivation. And it is not your goal. A goal is like chapter two. It might even be chapter three or four depending on how you work it. But it's not the first thing. The first thing is your dream. What difference will it make in your life? It's the outcome. And I've worked with a lot of healthcare clinicians, especially in primary care. And I had one physician who was head of occupational medicine for the largest hospital in Thailand. And she was really just agonizing over how to get her patients to change and she had these patients who were employees and so she saw them for many many years over a long span of time and she'd show them their numbers look your blood pressure is this your cholesterol is this and your blood sugar is that you know and when they're in their their young 20s you know they're normal and as people age it goes higher and higher it doesn't have to but that is a phenomenon that is happening, and she would say, "I show them my, the numbers, and it just doesn't, you know. How do I get them or make them change?" And I said, "You know, it's just a number. It's a number. It's abstract. Um, what makes a difference is is the difference losing weight or, or or bringing the numbers down will make. What is the value? What is the purpose?" and first of all, in your life, and how does losing weight help you to live that purpose more fully? It's the outcome. So I say the difference between losing 20 pounds, um, that's the goal, um, and in terms of motivation, the difference between losing 20 pounds is, uh, is hard, or I lose 20 pounds, I'll look better, I'll have more energy, and when I say that, people get it. Remember Bill Clinton was quite heavy, and then he went on an all-vegan, low-fat diet, and he loved his burger and fries. That's what he, I think he's famous for. Why did, what, what was the catalyst for completely changing his diet? You know, sealed his lips from burgers and fries. Why? What was it? Anybody know? He wanted to be able to do to be alive still for Chelsea's wedding and dance at her wedding. That was the outcome. That was what drove his behavior, not the numbers of your blood pressure is this, your risk category is that. So go for outcomes. All right, Um, so let's talk about this. Um, This is the new behavior framework Um, that uh, my partner and I are working on and developing it. Um, It's hot off the press, Um, and we call this why pet? And somebody said, oh, pets are so cute, that's so nice. Like, oh, we weren't thinking of that. Um, But notice that you is in the middle. So these are the four factors that contribute to lasting positive change. There's you, and you are the motivating factors. And there are enabling factors and motivating factors. Motivating factors are your values, your skill, purpose, purpose in life. Enabling factors are um, simulation free feedback and deliberate practice, Getting um, practicing in such a way that builds skills. It's your ability. And then at the lecture I was at earlier, um, again that um, what the uh, rabbi and I, forgot his name. I'm sorry. Um, he said, "Halacha is your ability. It's the, it's the, it's the what you need to do, and uh, hasidut is the spiritual." And I thought, "Oh, this is so great." So um, on our behavior model, I don't know if I can do this. Let's see if I can. So I'm wondering, and again, this is playing. If ability, we think of ability, that's the doing. The motivation is the why. That's the spiritual connection. So. Um, Anyway, we'll go back here. So that's the you. And then we have people. And the people, there are also two factor. There are multiple factors in people. They're enabling factors. And those are coaches. Those are teachers. Those are rabbis. Those are, rabbis. Um, those are the, the enabling factors. They help us learn. The um, motivating factors are peers. There can be friends, and there can be accomplices. Friends keep us on the course we want to go on. Accomplices say, ah, you've been uh, dieting enough. Let's you know, let's go to the Kiddish and really have some fun. Um, there are environmental factors that are motivating. I think that space, awe, looking at nature, can be motivating, or a clean desk can be motivating. Also, enabling factors in terms of um, environment are um, quiet, helps you concentrate and there are many other factors I want to keep going. and let's get to things. things motivating factors can be recognition. Um, we do a lot of courses um, in my company, people love getting those certificates. That is very motivating um, when they when they finish the course. Um, enabling factors are tools, alarms, props, um, gear. People like gear. you know you get a new hobby or you get a new um, you take up a new sport. That is, a, that is a, an, I'm sorry, that's an enabling factor. All right, and let's go on. So here's how it works. So instead of just the you, what is motivating you, and what is either increasing or limiting your ability, we are going to be developing this model that takes into account the motivating factors from you, the people around you, your environment, and things. So for example, um, say you want to stop smoking, you're a smoker, and I say if you live with smokers, you're around smokers all the time, you're going to be toast if you try and stop smoking. It could be very difficult. We know from exhaustive research data that that increasing the motivating factors and the enabling factors from each of these areas. Um, drives up the likelihood of success for behavior change um, many, many fold. So when you're thinking about positive be- change, it's not just your inspiration and your purpose and your ability, but who is helping you to motivate? Who is helping to keep you on track and to enable you? What are the things around you, your props, your tools, your recognition? And what are what's the environment? that's fostering and supporting that change. All right, so here are the SMART goals, and you see smart or not so smart. So what do you want? How will you know when you've reached it? Is it in your power to accomplish it? Can you realistically do it? And um, what exactly or when exactly are you gonna do it? You notice that those aren't so smart when we recognize how many factors contribute to successful change. There's no environment, um, necessarily, you could maybe read into it, um, but there's no social factors taken into account and there are no you know, people, places, things. And so, um, and also, it's about realistic. And the problem with realistic, when you first start out thinking about change, it isn't that realistic should not be on the menu or the radar, it's to be strategic. When should realistic come in? It should come into play, but not the first thing. Dream first. If you don't have dreams, then you're going to constrain yourself to only what you think is realistic. Um, And I think I dropped in on the doctor, I forgot his name, Ebo, Emo, who was talking. He's a physicist. And he said, I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. I was in a gang. Uh, you know, I could have been, I don't know what, a lot of my friends I saw be killed um, and I am a physicist, maybe a top physicist now. How did that happen? It wasn't because he was, quote, realistic. If he were realistic in that setting, realistic may have been, maybe I could be a manager at McDonald's. He had dreams and that's where you should start. And then you engineer it. So when we get down to the nitty gritty, it's, yes, what is the thing I can do today at this moment? that will guide me and take me towards change. Okay, Um, action. So now we've talked about behavior design, the context of how change happens, and now I'd like to talk about what you actually do. Behavior change is a skill, and skills take practice. So I want to encourage you um, there may be things you want to do. Maybe you don't think you have enough motivation. Maybe you have questions. How am I going to do it? So I'd say get started wherever you possibly can. And instead of thinking only as reaching that dream or that goal, also think about learning a new skill. like Sort of like knitting. Knitting without cable needles or something. And so I want to show you this. Um, as uh, encouraging you to think broad about where you might put a toe in the water. And these are the 10 dimensions of wellness. Um, There are enabling factors and there are motivating factors in here. And um, this is um, the 10 dimensions that my institute, Institute for Wellness Education has defined. It is a synthesis of um, different models from the CDC, the World Health Organization, SAMHSA, the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and the US Department of Defense, who has a very sophisticated um, wellness department. And so we took all of those and synthesized them to um, create this. I actually had students um, developing mnemonics so they could remember all of these 10 dimensions. So what I want to encourage you to do is to think, where can I start practicing the skills of behavior change? Any of the dimensions will do. And also, one success leads to another success. We call that the success momentum. It has a ripple effect. So I say gain a toehold, or a handhold, or a toehold, wherever you can. And how does it apply? Go from strength to strength. Now let's get down to... um, a little bit of nitty-gritty, we talked about an offset of motivation or um, a um, trade-off motivation and ability. So, how do you um, increase ability? In a certain way, you increase it by actually making the thing, the behavior, easier to do. And what I wanna show right now is that um, things really do make a difference. Um, and how do, you increase, uh, how do you increase ability by making the task easier to do? You make it super tiny. Remember earlier I said when people say, oh, I want to start meditating, and I know i got to start small, so I'll do 15 minutes a day, and I thought, oh, my God, no. Um, I want to talk about what does tiny mean. Who's heard, you know, if you want to start, make sure, start small. Who's heard that? Make it easy? Yeah. Let's talk about how tiny, tiny should be. I say, and this I learned from um, the director of a social service program, when I told her how tiny um, we recommend you starting, I said, floss one tooth. She said, that's ridiculous. And she was, and I had a bunch of people on the phone, I was training, and it was like, she's the director, it's like, how successful is my training gonna be? When she said, that is ridiculous, and she was really adamant about it. I thought, I'm curtains. She comes back the next week? she said my life's changed completely transformed I did it I did stuff I started change that I've never been able to do because I went tiny and so we called it now how tiny ridiculously tiny it's so tiny that when you tell people yeah I'm gonna make a lasting change it's gonna transform my life I'm gonna floss one too it's like oh that's ridiculous that's how tiny you should go so There are two ways to start. You can either take a tiny version, floss one tooth, take one bite of a carrot, do two push-ups, or take one deep breath. You want to start meditating. You want it to be a lasting behavior change. One breath. You want to start saying brachot? Start tiny. One bracha for one thing. Um, That's tiny version. Or you can do a starter step. So starter step is the first step in a multi-step process. It could be, I want to eat healthier. Put an apple in your backpack, or put out the dog food. Um, The dog food, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, no wonder you, yeah, there it is, put out the dog food. That is actually a variation of what a student said. Um, She had a grandson who had a Komodo dragon, some kind of monster iguana, and the kid would forget to feed it. And so she said, okay, and uh, apparently this, Thing was uh, this monster animal was in the kid's room, so he thought, okay, well, if I bring the food into the room, and after I put on my PJs at night, I'll put the lizard dragon's food in the bowl. In the morning, when I'm too busy to go to school, um, it'll already be done. So after he put on his PJs, he put the food in and then it was done um it worked really well and i thought i don't know i better change it just to dog food a lot more people can relate Um, i work with a number of um faith-based organizations um people who want to read their bible at night and so the tiny version or the starter step is they want to read before they go to bed after i get into bed i will pick up my bible and you know how how many people have had the experience It's the getting started that's hard. Once you start, no problem. You can continue, right? Who said, I don't want to walk a mile? You start, it feels good. You do it. That's the magic of the starter step. Make it ridiculously tiny. Okay. Does tiny really matter? Um, Well, think about a pebble in your shoe. Who's had a pebble in their shoe and couldn't walk, right? It's killer. Tiny matters. Or a burr under the saddle. Tiny matters. All right, um, and this is an example from a lot of the behavior. The science of behavior change comes out of tech. It's how do you make people click and how do you make them stick on the page. So this is an example of um, small changes that make big rewards. So on the control, this was an experiment. Um, the add to cart button, which ooh, I'm going to use my new toy there was blue, they changed it. One change only, they changed it to green. And what was the result? Almost 36% increase in conversions. Conversions mean people bought. Who runs a program or has a business where you'd like your business to increase by 36%? So tiny makes a difference. Why else so tiny? Oh, the question is, okay, so I do my starter step and then I can increase it, right? Like I want to run a marathon. So I'll start with, oh, put my shoes on. That's a starter step. That's not a tiny version because it's the first step in a process. The tiny version would be run the length of my driveway. How tiny is that? Ridiculously tiny. And then I'll get a marathon. Okay, so once I've been doing the driveway, I can build up to a mile. Now my habit is a mile, right? Wrong, no. Your tiny habit, your tiny behavior stays tiny. Why is that? Hmm? gets to be a habit. It may, may, yeah, that's one thing. The other thing is that we build on success. Remember the slide from strength to strength. Life happens. We may be tired. We may not have time. When we increase our, um, our our goal, I want to put that in big quotes, our goal is the marathon, but we increase like, the have-to behavior. Um, what happens on the day that we're tired, that we don't have time, a call comes, and we don't do that mile, or we're working up to a marathon, the 10 miles a day that we've worked ourselves up to, we beat ourselves up. And now we're failures, and then we go back to I'll never be able to do it because I failed. I fell off the wagon. You know, one day goes into two days. It's the what the hell effect. That is a clinical term, by the way. Um, no, it's a clinical term. Um, I forgot which psychologist uh, coined that term, but it's people um, blow their diets, and then they go, oh, what the hell? I've blown it. I might as well just pig out, um, and that's what happens. So. What happens when you keep it tiny? Okay, every day I will not meditate 15 minutes. I'm meditating 15 minutes or half an hour now. But my my habit is still I take one deep breath with full presence. On the day that I'm tired, on the day I don't have time, on the day the kids have to be driven to the orthodontist or I need to make a phone call, talk to Zalman for, for hours about behavior change. I can still do my one deep breath with full presence, and I can give myself the gold star, which is the recognition. And remember, that's the thing. That's a motivating thing. That is the reason to keep your original behavior small. So you never beat yourself up. You can always reward yourself. It doesn't mean you can't do more. It means after I take my one, full, one deep breath with full presence, I can do more. And guess what that's called? Anybody know? Extra credit. <laughs> it's called a bonus. I pat myself on the back. I got extra credit. All right? You can always earn extra credit, but you don't beat yourself up. All right. And so what do you do? There. Celebrate, savor, and appreciate your success. Every time, our brains are wired for pleasure. And so give yourself pleasure by savoring, by celebrating, or by, uh, by, by appreciating. You can do it physically, give yourself a pat on the back. You can do it verbally, yes! Or you can do a combination, which I just did, yes. Um, that wires your brain for success also. Okay, this one I call the Dunk of the Delight, and um, I added that only because imagine um, being being a kid or even a grown-up having baby marshmallows and having that as your hot chocolate mug and throwing the marshmallow in. I think that's just so cool. So. Think about, you know, that experience. I mean, if you visualize it, actually what I forgot, I realize, is my props. I have these neon puffballs. Usually I have a bunch of cups, and I actually have people throwing these neon puffballs into the cup and seeing what the reaction is. And I actually had I presented at the New Jersey um, Prevention Network Summit. I had 500 people in the audience. I said, okay, we're all going to learn about savor and about... A celebration! So everybody got cups. Some people were on teams, and they all had their cups and these neon, silly little fuzzy puff balls. And they were all doing it, and the crowd got out of control. Everybody was having so much fun and laughing, and they were having the greatest time. And then I was standing there, 500 people. I'm going, oh my gosh. How am I going to get people back to this? He's listening to me. That was the most panic I've ever had for any talk I did, and it was true panic. Oh, my God. Anyway, they did get back. Um, so just savor. All right. Um, this is a quote from Mary Oliver. Uh, many people know it. I just learned this quote um, a couple years ago. and I, I I love it. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Um, and, uh yeah, I think maybe there's I don't know. We'll have to think about a Jewish way to do that. To but um, let's take that as a uh, as a prompt and think maybe a Jewish version of that. All right, let's talk about how to break bad habits. Um, habits breaking bad habits is not you can't you can't kind of reverse engineer bad habits. Habits are formed in one way. Breaking bad habits is done another way. Um and the one thing I will suggest right now, there are a number of different ways to approach bad habits. Um, but I would say first is think about the difference. Well, first of all, is what do you want instead of the bad habit? I think it's really, really important. So many times we say, I don't want to be stressed anymore. Who's ever thought I don't want to be stressed anymore? Anybody? Um I don't want to have conflict in this relationship. Who said that? I don't want to feel so tired. Who said that? Um, We often focus on what we don't want, and then we can't make behavior change. Why? All right, I'll give you the example. I'll, I'll tell you why. I go into a restaurant. Server says, here's the menu. I'll come back for your order. I look at the menu and uh, it's a southern place, and the comes back, and, just, and the person says, okay, and what can I get for you? Well, I noticed you have fried, fried okra. I hate okra. It's slimy. Don't bring me that. Okay, great. So what do you want? Um, mm, oh, man. You've also got fried chicken. I love fried chicken. Doctor told me, no fried food for me. My cholesterol's too high. Okay. What else do you want? Um, oh, I see you have that salad. I, I do like salad. Uh, uh you got that chopped raw onions in there. It gives me bad breath. It makes, it makes me burp. Can't do that. Well, what's the server going to bring you? Server can't bring you anything until they know what you do want. So when we're talking about behavior change, we don't be so tired. We don't want to be so stressed. We don't want to have the conflict in the relationship. We don't, don't want to be so fat, so out of shape, whatever it is. You have to be able to articulate an answer. You have to be able to answer the instead question. What do you want instead? And what do you want instead? How do you answer it? Again, remember the mistakes people make? Vague, forever, make it concrete. So concrete, if it's eating healthier in the morning, so concrete, that you define how many Cheerios are on your breakfast spoon in the morning. Number one for breaking bad habits, know what you do want. Know what difference it would make to you. What difference would it make to you not being so tired? What would you be instead? And the moment you woke up. The moment you open your eyes on the day that you feel energetic, what do you notice that tells you you're not tired anymore? You're energetic. That you, how on that day when you're energetic, when you have a clear mind, when you feel enthusiastic about the day, when you feel like you can conquer everything, when you look forward to work. On that day, when all of that is present, how? What do you notice yourself doing as you brush your teeth? How is? How are you when you are filled with the kind of you that is that has the presence of the stuff you do want? How? What are you doing in your day that shows that? That's one way. So it's instead of the bad habit. What do you want? What? difference will it make? When you don't have conflict in the relationship, what will you have instead? I'll have peace. I'll have love. I'll have support. And what difference will that make? I'll feel like life counts, that I count to that person, and that that person counts to me. And how will you notice? What will tell you that you count for that person, and that that person knows that they count for you. I'll smile at them the first time I see them. And when you start thinking that way, by visualizing it, because that's the only way you can answer that question, you start to live the change. So that's one way to break head up. It's, the other way is to do something different, is substitute. That's probably the, uh, one of the easier, once you've taken care of what do you want instead, what difference will it make, how will you notice, is substitute um, we uh, have worked with teenagers quite a bit and one student who was um, on a wrestling team decided he would eat better gave up his bad habits of eating um, and he started to instead of eating donuts he would eat apples and after about a month he said I never realized how sweet apples are I love them it was pretty cool and then students on the wrestling team his wrestling team started coming to him and saying, you're so much happier, and you're so much healthier, and you're doing better. Show me, how are you doing that? Pretty cool. All right, so new behavior instead of old. And I want to just share this idea with you that work, you know, we say, well, does it work? Work is not enough when we're talking about behavior change. I'll give you a super simple example. Um, years and years ago, I went to an acupuncturist for something, and um, they said, okay. They did the needles. They did a bunch of other stuff, and they said, and take these Chinese herb. Plus, you need to eat um, a lot of really rich, um, rich broth. So get some pork bones, like pig's feet, and boil it for a long time and eat it. Okay, that works, right? No, yeah, it, uh, it works. Works perfectly. It'll work perfectly. I don't have any question. Does it fit with my values? Well, not if I keep kosher. It sure doesn't. So. When you're looking for a solution, or a behavior change, or whatever you're doing to make that change, whether it's the environment, the people you're hanging out with, the things you're using to make that change, or you yourself reflecting, make sure that it not only works to deliver the results you want, but that it fits with your values, with your interests. Yeah, I like music, but I hate playing the piano. I want to play violin. Instead, actually, I ran away from home when I was 12 years old because I was playing cello, violin, and piano. I hated the piano, and I told my mom, I want to. I don't want to play piano anymore. She said, well, you can give up violin or cello, but you can't give up piano. So I ran away to my grandmother's house three blocks away. Eventually, my mom, after a day of my having run away from home to my grandmother's three blocks away, did let me give up playing the piano. Um, so that is... The it didn't fit. I love music, but it didn't fit with my values, my interests, and my preferences. So your two-year-old has to get dressed because they got to get dressed. It works to put on clothes to go to nursery school. The fits is, do you like blue or green? So that's one important thing. So here's a quote from James Clear. He is a fantastic writer, author of Atomic Habits. Um, My business partner has a Facebook Atomic Habits group, and I think he's got 15,000 people in this group. His book is a great read. I did it cover to cover. He says, does this behavior help me become the type of person I wish to be? Does this habit cast a vote for or against my desired identity? Um, Habits that reinforce your desired identity are usually good. Habits that conflict with your identity are usually bad. So this is the people part. This is not only the you, but this is the people part. The people who are enabling and motivating. So are they teaching the right thing or the wrong thing? That's enabling. And for motivating, are you hanging around with people who share your values, who inspire you, who you want to inspire? That's the identity piece. So um, how does this all come together? Well, uh, life is about, at least I think life, learning new behaviors is about experimenting. So I encourage you to be not only the scientist mounting experiments, try new things, see how it works for you, but try it on yourself. So you are both the scientist developing these experiments and the subject. And be curious instead of certain. I think it's so important. Um, And there's a lot of, uh, I think in this climate, there's a lot of certainty when we should be curious. Curious about ourselves and curious about each other. Um, Another thing is practice. Behavior change is a skill. So practice it. And practice it. Remember, I I showed you the diagram of 10 dimensions of health. Choose something that is easy, not hard. Choose something that isn't um, fraught with emotional angst. Um, If you bite your fingernails, don't do that as the first one. (laughs) Um, And also, be gentle with yourself. You don't gain by beating yourself up. And explore, discover, and learn. So um, I do have tiny habits journals to pass out. I've got bookmarks. And um, I have a question for you. And, and um, I, I, we didn't do so much interaction. But what I'm wondering is, what's the most important thing you heard yourself think? to yourself or even say during this workshop. It's the most important thing you heard yourself say. It doesn't even have to be the most important. It could be something that you found that caught your attention, something that you thought about you might, that you might might found helpful. And that's a real question, not rhetorical. How does the, um, the, the fact that people have addiction and bad habits relate to um, the Torah in terms of the evil inclination and the eights and, and I've never understood how its habits are given for a reason so that you learn something and how you tie the two together since you know so much about those subjects. I'm not the person to ask about. Um, I, I really would... Um, Uh, um, yield to somebody with much more wisdom about Torah. Um, I do think, though, from a uh, perspective of evolution and neuroscience um, and neurobiology, that all behavior has a purpose. And even the dumbest behavior that we see people doing or the dumbest things we see people doing they serve a purpose. Um, we are all, you know, we have a three-part brain, and the brainstem is our animal brain, and that keeps us safe. You know, it's the uh-oh, walking down a oh, dark street at night. We, You know, we hear something, that's the uh-oh brain. It is always on. It is always scanning for danger and and keeping us safe. So, you know, we... Pers- I have one simple. The whole populist science that rewiring the brain and the sinexes and the twenty one days and they have a- oh. do you buy into all of that? No, I don't buy into the twenty one days. No. <laughs> Life's a lot more comp- where we're we humans, we're a lot more complicated than that. But I do think that it helps if we think about all behavior being purposeful, even dumbest behavior, um, that you know, people people even you mentioned um, addiction. People don't start out shooting up heroin going, Oh, goody, I'm going to you know, be addicted to heroin and overdose someday. They don't, it's adaptive. They want to fit in, you know, again, think about the you, the um, the the people, the environment and things around you, uh, people who join gangs. That is, maybe that's a dumb behavior because gangs or, you know, selling drugs or whatever, it's adaptive, maybe it's not safe to not be part of a gang. If you're a kid and there are gangs around, and you're not part of the gang. Your mother might be, you know, hassled. Your your sister might be molested. You might be bullied. You might be, you know, fought. I mean, there are a lot of things that humans do. It's all purposeful. It may not, in the end, it's adaptive initially, maladaptive later. So that, if you think about that, it helps you be much more empathic for people. And I think that's important. We cannot change. We can't change ourselves. We can't change the world unless we have empathy. And I think that's the greatest gift you can give someone. And I'm getting teary. Um, uh, um, yeah. Um, it, I just have to tell you how important it is to be understanding, to give people space, to have empathy and um, to hold out hope and hold out a dream for yourself and for everybody around you. Um, and you may find a little bit more out about my tears right now, but later. Yeah, it's just uh, when you showed the, uh, the graphic of the baby's feet, baby, baby steps. And oh yeah. Uh-huh. something sad, which is basically that you can learn a lot from a toddler who's learning to walk. Because they fall over all the time. It never occurs to them. Oh, I fallen. I'm now gonna lie here and never walk again. They just get up immediately and they start walking. And they feel really great when they take one simple step, in. Absolutely. Um actually Michael Wesh is a professor of anthropology at Kansas University. He has an amazing YouTube video. I think it's called um, What I Learned from Baby George. And it's exactly that. He shows his toddler walking down a stair. Falling flat on his face over and over and over and over, and it's all a joy, it's all fun, and it's all learning, and it all doesn't matter that he's fallen. He's engaged. And he's yeah, he's engaged. That's let's talk. Uh, there's my email address. It didn't quite come out. It's dteplo at instituteforwellness.com. Um there's my website, there's one of my websites. Um I have another one. Um, and there's my Skype. Yeah, that that the, all the, the spacing of that slide really got goofy. Um, Skype is deborah.teplo. And um, yeah, contact me. Let's talk. Um, I've got tiny habits journals. This is um, adapted. It's it's really um, it's the orthodoxy of BJ Fogg's tiny habits method. We will be publishing later our adaptation. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and torahcafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.